Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Strength Strength again this morning. It's always a blessing to gather here with many of you, and um, some of the best discussions happen about uh, 10 till 6 here on, on this call. So if you ever want to get on early, feel, feel free to do that, especially when Patrick Matthews on here with us. So it's always a great time. So it's a blessing to be gathered here. My name is Bryant Martin. I'm from State College, Pennsylvania, part of the Fathers of Jesus congregation here. And I get the privilege of, of moderating this morning. The purpose of Strength to Strength is to advance Jesus' kingdom. And um, part of that is looking at topics that are stimulating and um, uh, nurturing candid uh, conversations. So we're looking forward to that here again this morning. Brother John D. is joining us. And um, Brother John, this might be maybe your sixth time sharing on Strength to Strength or more than that. I'm not sure. And so we're very thankful for your participation here um, on on this on this um, call. Um, so thank you for that. Also, Brother John uh, gives us input and advice uh, on strength to strength. That's a blessing as well. So this morning, the topic that Brother John is going to be sharing is called um, uh, Kingdom Cautions, I believe. Is that right, Brother John? I, I don't have the, yeah, the yeah, website. For kingdom, for kingdom Cautions. Yes, four kingdom cautions, and I'm anticipating that talk. So before we get started, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you for your many blessings this morning. Thank you for your mercies that are new to us this morning. Thank you for health and strength. And most of all, we thank you that we can know that we are your children. Thank you for your son, Jesus this new covenant, for this opportunity that we have to be your ambassadors here participating uh, in in the work, your work in the world of seeing people uh, brought into a uh, reconcile with you, brought into a relationship with you, experiencing peace and joy on earth, heaven on earth. Father, we thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray that as we hear this talk this morning by Brother John, that um, we could, again, understand more fully what you're calling us to be like as your representatives here on this planet. Yes. So, Father, guide and direct your conversation. Bless Brother John in a special way. Bless John, too, for his um, his his willingness to, to teach and um, to uh, help us as this, uh, younger generations to think seriously about you and your kingdom. So, guide and direct his call, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Brother John, um, it's all yours. Well, good morning. Uh, We're going back this morning to the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're going to be looking at chapter 7. Uh, I really am intrigued by chapter 7 because the first two chapters, 5 and 6, are so idealistic that many people have written them off or said that it must be referring to some future kingdom. Uh, there's no way we can live these chapters. They're too idealistic. And uh, the thing I always marvel about is that Jesus realized that 
and he gave us a whole chapter of realism. So in the Sermon on the Mount, we have two idealistic chapters, and then we have a very realistic chapter, because Jesus understood the difficulty uh, of putting this all to practice, and he understood uh, that many people would attempt to put those two chapters to practice and would actually create a nightmare rather than a, a, a heaven on earth. Uh, there literally have been hundreds of communes attempted, especially back during the hippie generation. Uh, people uh, attempted to live together in full intentional community. And all of those have failed. Uh, I don't think any one of them has ever uh, succeeded. Uh, only the Hutterites are continuing uh, with that ideal uh, in a real way. And so <clears throat> we need to look at chapter <clears throat> chapter seven, because Jesus uh, there really tells us what we're going to have to come to terms with if, if we're going to experience any reality uh, from those first two chapters. Uh, now, I live here about 27 miles from Gettysburg Battlefield. Uh, which is probably the most significant battle, the, in fact, the largest battle uh, fought here during the Civil War. Uh, there were 165,000 soldiers there. Uh, one third of them were casualties. And the realism of Gettysburg was that if the Southern Army had been destroyed before they left Gettysburg, that would have been the end of the Civil War. However, that did not happen, and the Civil War uh, went on for another two miserable years with a tremendous loss of life. So why didn't that happen? Well, that's because General Meade, who was the general in charge of the Northern Army, refused to obey Lincoln because Lincoln realized the importance of this battle, and he telegraphed at the end of it repeatedly to General Meade that he was to destroy the Southern Army and make sure they did not escape. Uh, general Meade disobeyed every one of those orders and allowed the army to escape. And if you talk to older people, or at least when I was younger, uh, who remembered stories from their uh, grandparents, uh, their stories of wagon loads of these wounded soldiers coming down through Chambersburg with blood dripping out of the wagons with people screaming and moaning, injured people. And so this injured army re uh, uh, retreated to the South. So, Lincoln was told by his uh, associates that he should court-martial Meade for disobeying him. He should give him a dishonorable discharge. And Lincoln refused to do that. And he said something like this. He said, I was not at Gettysburg. If I had been there doing those three horrible days in July, the first, second, and third, I maybe would not have had the heart to destroy a wounded army either. He said, I wasn't there to hear the screams and, and uh, moans of dying people. Uh, I just was not. I, there's no way that I can court-martial this man because I don't know what I would have done in his place. Now, I tell this story because Lincoln, even though he was commanding an army and it, it was something we would not do, there was another side to Lincoln, uh, and that was the man had a huge heart for people. Uh, there are many stories of people who came to him pleading for mercy and, and help, and uh, they could always depend on Lincoln. Uh, we call that magnan magnanimity, ma a magnanimous heart, which is a big heart. And uh, Jesus knew that we would have to be that kind of people if this was ever going to succeed. And so he gives us four warnings here, which we want to talk about this morning. Uh, 
He knew that he had talked about a new kind of person, free from anger, free from lust, free from dishonesty, free from revenge, free from violence. And that's those are pretty high ideals. He also realized he had projected an ideal society where the tyranny of property was broken, uh, where there was vital faith without hypocrisy. Uh, he, re- he realized that what he was talking about was an idealistic colony of heaven on earth, which we talk about when we talk about the kingdom. He realized that. He realized that he was projecting something very, very ideal for a very, very messed up society here in this world. And so <clears throat> uh, a lot of people, like I said, have said, is this real? And they've seen many communities fail and they've concluded that it isn't. And of course, we as Mennonites know the failure of our idealism because we always set out to start a new community with high ideals and everybody's happy and they love each other so much that they could eat each other. And if they're not careful, they really end up doing that. Uh, in fact, Jesus said that if you're not careful, you will bite and devour each other. And that's what happens if we don't look at these kingdom cautions. So Jesus tackles the practical problems to be overcome because he saw there would be a mixture of weak and strong. There'd be a mixture of true and false. There'd be a mixture of faithful and unfaithful in our attempts to establish these ideal communities. And so he gives us four kingdom cautions. So we want to look at these. Uh, The first one is how we relate to each other. And the second one is going to be how we relate to people outside the brotherhood. The third one is going to be how do we have the wisdom to do either of those? And the fourth one is going to be what do we do about situations that are not covered in the Sermon on the Mount? So let's look at the first one. It says, and and I read, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So the first point that I want to make that Jesus is dealing with here is in relation to each other, the the warning here is that when we correct a brother, we have to do it with absolute compassion. Um, <clears throat> this is a beautiful ideal here. <laughs> and uh, the problem that usually that comes up and the reason they fail is because of, of interrelationship problems between brothers. And so <clears throat> Jesus understood that. So the first thing he says here is don't judge. Now, that does not mean we're not supposed to discriminate between right and wrong. That does not mean we're not supposed to identify people who are false, because at the end of the chapter, he talks about identifying false prophets, and he spells out in detail how we're supposed to do that. So he's not talking about a person who's not discriminating in his ability to, to uh, evaluate. He's not talking about that at all. In fact, the word he that he's using here is actually this word, Condemn. Is that, is that backwards? How are you seeing it? Are you seeing it? I'm sorry, sorry, brother. And yeah, yeah, that that is correct. We can see that. Condemn. Well, Mm -hmm. it looks backwards to me. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, it's, do you see the last four letters of that word? 
And do you yeah. see where you could change one letter mm-hmm. and have a word that we all understand very well? Damn. That's what this, this is what this means. In fact, it's the same word that is used in John 3.17 when it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This is the same word that's being used here. And so what do we mean? Well, condemn has the idea of putting people down, putting putting people down because we have this very twisted concept that if we put other people down, that'll put us up. And so when we go to talk to a brother, the, 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 the thing that is the most uh, dangerous is going to be whether or not we are going to consider our brother, as as we are told in Philippians, to be better than ourselves. He has a fault, to be sure, but he's not a brother that that is beneath us. He's not a brother to be demeaned. He's a brother to be handled very, very carefully. And so uh, Jesus is saying, before you go talk to that brother, you be careful that you don't have this problem, which is basically self-righteousness. You know, my brother has a fault. So I'm better than he is. That's, that's the attitude we have, we have to really, really work with. All right. Because there's always this subtle temptation to raise ourselves on other people's faults. And, uh, that's, that's what's behind gossip. It's what's behind all these things that we tend to do in relationship to the faults in our brotherhood. And, uh, this takes some real discipline. Now, Condemning is wrong for three reasons. Number one, I already told you, it's the opposite of what Jesus did. He did not come to condemn the world, and he could have. He could have come here with a superior attitude, uh, uh, with everybody, you know, with an attitude that everybody else is just terribly wrong. But he saw the good in people. I mean, here's a prostitute, and everybody else is putting her down. And Jesus deals with her problem without doing that. Uh, here's Peter who, uh, after he had been called, apparently went back to fishing. Did Jesus meet up with Peter and, and just uh, uh, lay into him for, for his uh, uh, going back on his commitment? No. He meets Peter on the shore with his fishing boat, and he says, let's launch out into the deep. And so they launch out, and he says, now put down the net. And you know what happened? So Jesus, what Jesus did is, <laughs> here's Peter, he went back to fishing, and Jesus said, look, Peter, I'm going to get back in business fishing with you. And then, of course, they have this tremendous catch of fish, and Peter sees his sin, and he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. That's how Jesus dealt with it. He he, he took Peter's wrong action and actually got involved with him uh, to show him his his need. Uh, he did not put Peter down. In, in fact, at the end of that whole thing, he said, you're going to catch men. You're, you're going to, you have a great ministry ahead of you, Peter. That's how Jesus dealt with people who had faults. And this is a difficult, this is a difficult thing to do because this self-righteous attitude, I'm talking for my, about myself. I deal with it all the time because when I see a fault in a brother, I immediately think that he is less intelligent, is less perceptive, has less commitment, you name it. That's my first tendency when I see a fault in a brother. And Jesus said, don't you go talk to him until you have uh, taken that moat of that beam of self-righteousness out of your eye. So the first reason why we're not supposed to do it is because Jesus didn't do it. He gave us example after example of how he dealt with people who really were pretty, pretty blatant sinners. 
without putting them down. In fact, he, he, he dealt with them in a way that when it was all said and done, they had hope and, uh, they, they felt, uh, encouraged by the way Jesus dealt with them. The second reason why it is wrong is it because it, it tends, it, it, we tend with, in this kind of situation, if we have self-righteousness, to project our faults on other people. Romans chapter two, verse one says, who are you, who are you brother? Who are you that condemns other people? Same word. You also do the same things. And if, if we're really honest, sometimes the reason we're so sensitive to the faults in other people is because we have the same problem. I mean, here we have, I guess I can say this because it was public information a number of decades ago. We had uh, Jimmy Baker who was caught in immorality and Jimmy Swaggart goes on the TV and just absolutely flays the man alive. Just, uh, just condemns him and condemns him and condemns him. About a year later, we find out that Jimmy Swaggart was doing the same thing, only worse. See what, see what's happening here. If you can put another TV evangelist down, that maybe makes you feel better about your own problem. In fact, I was in a barber shop after it was all over and they replayed uh, Jimmy Swaggart's confession. The man that was the barber was an atheist and, and he pointed to the screen and he just ridiculed Jimmy Swaggart. He said, now isn't, isn't he a beautiful evangelist? Isn't that beautiful? I mean, he just, of course, very, very cynical. So that's what happens. People who are dishonest tend to be really sensitive to other people if they tell untruths. People who are immoral tend to be very sensitive to other people's immorality. In fact, when I see a person has a really critical spirit, there was a man in our community that for years, if there was the slightest hint of immorality, he was on it. Gossip and just, just, you know, put that person down all over the community. And I often wondered, I never found out. But I often wondered what was going on in his life morally. Why was he so sensitive to that that one issue? Uh, so we sort of give ourselves away. If we have a judgmental spirit about something, that's always we always use it. And everybody knows that this is the one thing we always sniff out. We're probably giving ourselves away that in that area, we probably have a problem of our own. So the first reason we shouldn't do it is Jesus didn't do it. Number two, it projects our faults on other people. And number three, it misses the whole point. (laughs) The whole point is to win the brother, not to put him down, not to put him out, not to condemn him. That's not the point at all. The point is we go there with a heart that we want this brother back. We love him. He's an indispensable part of our brotherhood. He has something to contribute and we don't want to lose him. We want to, to, uh, to see the fault corrected. So, So what do we do? <clears throat> well, Jesus says, first cast the beam out of your own eye. Don't you go talk to that brother till you're absolutely sure that you have nothing in your heart but to restore, that you have no attitude whatsoever of putting him down. And you're going to, you're going to study before you go to him how you can say what you have to say in the kindest, most winsome way. And you're going to be careful that what if if there's going to be any hurt, it's going to be the words that you say, not the way you said them. And I'm preaching to myself this morning. I mean, those who know me know I'm a strong personality. I'm very opinionated. 
I'm very categorical in the way I think, and I, I, I can be the opposite of what I'm describing. And so this is, this is a real discipline that we have to go through before we go talk to a brother. We have to think carefully what we're going to say and how we're going to say it so that it, it does the least amount of, of uh, hurt to the person that we're talking to. So, <clears throat> so the, he says, quit beholding the beam. Quit staring at it. That's what it means. In, in other words, what, what you tend to do is you look at this one thing in the person's life and, and it obliterates everything else about him and you just stare at it and stare at it. The condemning person keeps staring at the fault. The redemptive person is thinking hard how he can remove that fault. He's not, he's not magnifying the fault in his own thinking. So the Bible, what Jesus is saying here is secure your own repentance. All of us, I think I can say without uh, any uh, qualification. All of us, when we see a fault in a brother, have to do some real repenting because immediately we're going to have this self-righteous problem. And so we have to repent of that before we're ready to, to do anything about it. Uh, it it's just amazing uh, how this works. We all think we are so smart. <laughs> I, I like to tell the story of the man who wrote a book on child training, and he did it before he had any children, or at least his children were small. And the first title to the book was 10 Surefire Ways to Raise Spiritual Giants. And I mean, it was all in there, just a little bit like my talks before I was married on child training. If you want to hear how to train children, get one of my talks before I was married. Well, anyway, he wrote this book and it was all in there. And 10 years later, uh, he had children about eight, 10 years old. The book was out of print. He revised it. The second title was 10 Principles of Child Training. Uh, so you see what was happening. Uh Ten years later, the book was out of print. Now his children have all married and left home. And uh, he revises the book and he puts it back in print. The last title was A Few Child Training Suggestions You Might Find Helpful. <laughs> so I, I'm just showing our tendency to really think we we, we know and, and we, we need to take the high ground in our relationship with other people. Uh, someone has said when others... When others are set in their ways, they become, they're obstinate. When you're set in your ways, it's firmness. When your neighbor doesn't like your friend, he's prejudiced. When you don't like his friend, you're a good judge of human nature. When uh, he is mild-mannered, you call him weak. When you're mild-mannered, it's graciousness. When someone dresses especially well, that person is extravagant. When you do, it's good taste. When he says what he thinks, he's spiteful. And when you do, you're being frank. So that's what we tend to do uh, with ourselves. <clears throat> So, uh, first of all, focus on your own repentance. Uh, it's easy to act concerned. You know, you, we give these prayer requests, and, and often they're just simply a way to gossip in a sanctified way. Uh, so we're to examine our own faults. He chooses the eye. When an eye surgeon is about to do a, a surgery, he scrubs his hands to make sure he introduces no pathogen and causes more problems than what he remedies. And so Jesus is saying, scrub your heart. Do a good, good scrub and make sure that you, you, you know before you go that your only purpose is to reclaim the brother. It's not in any way to introduce any put down or hurt in, into the situation. And then once you've done that, go and gently, gently correct your brother. Our brothers are precious. I have brothers in our, our congregation that I disagree with. Um, and some of them are pretty serious disagreements, but I have tried really hard 
to appreciate them for the for the strengths that they have and to relate to them accordingly. And I, I haven't done it perfectly, but that's been my purpose. And that should always be our purpose. I mean, you may need that brother later. You may have a problem of some sort that only he could meet. And if he's gone, you, you won't have anybody to meet the need that you have. I mean, our brothers are precious to us, and we should view them that way. Here are a few cautions. There are some things that are very contagious. Hatred, greed, jealousy, hurts. And there are people walking around that are always talking about those things. And those people are very dangerous people. Uh, be careful in your relationships with them. Uh, we have a lady in our congregation. Uh, I never saw anybody quite like her. She will absolutely not listen to any gossip. If you go to her with a story that, that you shouldn't be telling, she'll stand there with, with in silence and maybe even make a, a, a few very kind comments that let you know she really does not want to hear that. Uh, she's really been a challenge to me. I have never heard her gossip. I've never tried to talk to her in a way that I didn't feel rebuked if I was saying something inappropriate about somebody else. And so this, this is a real discipline. This is a real uh, uh, skill to develop. Fight against gossip. Somebody has said gossip is that which goes in both ears and comes out the mouth greatly enlarged. And so we should fight against it. And another thing that I would say is we should study to, to compliment people. I mean, we're so quick to criticize, but we're not very quick to compliment. I mean, we're afraid we're going to make them proud, of course. Uh, you probably won't. Uh, I remember a teacher that I taught with who went to EMC in its early years and had Mrs. M.T. Brackbill. He was the person famous for astronomy, built the uh, planetarium uh, or the observatory there at EMC. Well, his wife, she taught, I think she taught English. And he was in her class. And he said she was an amazing teacher. He said she never missed an opportunity to compliment a student on a good answer, a good paper, uh, whatever. He said she she just gave out compliments like candy. Just that she, she just was constantly complimenting people and also was a very good teacher. And he said what was interesting, he said if she happened to be absent and there was a substitute substitute teacher, he said we actually behaved better for the substitute teacher than we did for her because we didn't want her to come back and hear that we had caused a problem. We had that much respect for her that we didn't want to hear any criticism uh, get to her about what we had done. So let's learn to compliment people. Uh, let's learn to build them up. Uh, let's, let's be careful with our criticism. And yes, scrub our souls of self-righteousness, the tendency to put ourselves up by putting other people down. The second thing here, is witness, that was uh, correct with caution. This one is witness with wisdom. So how do we handle this with people who are outside the kingdom of God? Well, the first thing we have to realize is there are three kinds of people out there. Number one are the simple people. Now, the Bible gives these three categories, the simple, the fool, and the scorner. The simple person is the person who believes everything you say. Uh, the story is told of the deacon. Somebody came to him and had some case and made a big issue out of something. And the deacon said, well, I think you're right. And uh, shortly after that, uh, another man came on the other side of the issue and he made his case. And the deacon said, you're right. And his wife was listening to both of these. And she said, honey, they can't both be right. And he said, well, honey, I think you're right. So that's <laughs> that's the simple person. OK, and, and those people, there's great hope for them because they're going to listen to you. 
they're going to hear what you have to say and they're going to think you're right. <laughs> uh, so you have a chance with them. The, the second person is the fool. Uh, he already has heard the truth and has decided to reject it. And uh, you need to be a little careful with that. There's some hope for him, but not as much as for the simple person. And then there's the scorner. He not only has made up his mind to reject, he's out to destroy. He's out to destroy the truth. He's out to destroy everybody who's telling uh, the story, uh, the truth. And so there's the Bible gives almost no hope for that person. In fact, it tells you basically to avoid him. He'll do you a lot of harm. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Vulgar, corrupted, reprobate people. Don't don't go with this message. We have to understand that almost nothing in this sermon makes any sense to those people out there. I mean, when you're talking to I talked to a lot of people, uh, young people on the telephone from the billboards. And if you even suggest that fornication is wrong, that is so stupid to them. They think that's the whole point of dating. That's that's what it's all about. What are you talking about? This makes no sense. It makes no sense not to accumulate wealth. What are you going to do in your old age? You know, shouldn't you? In fact, I was talking to my brother the other day. I was talking a little bit about the way I handle my finances. And he said, John, you have to you have to look out for yourself. You have to do good things for yourself. See, that's how people out there think. So that makes no sense. It makes no sense that if somebody does you wrong, you wouldn't try to hurt them uh, in some way. That makes no sense. It makes no sense to always tell the truth because once in a while there's situations where if you'd actually tell the truth, you're going to get yourself in hot water. So, you know, you need to sort of detour around the truth. So none of these things make sense to those people out there. In fact, if they try to apply them, they don't work. When I describe the kingdom of God, frequently one of the callers will say, I bet you voted for Bernie Sanders. Well, yes, Bernie Sanders wants an equitable society. He wants wealth to be shared. But he's going to do it with force. And I tell those people that when when people who have not had selfishness dealt with, this always turns into a nightmare. It ends up what it ends up is with a few elites making everybody else equally miserable while they pocket the cash. And so this ideal that Jesus has here with money, for instance, it it has created a disaster. Uh, In the last century, 100 million people perished under Stalin and Mao Zedong who tried to force this equality of, of, of money on everybody. And so Jesus says, be careful. <laughs> when, you, when you're out there giving this message, try to evaluate who you're talking to and be careful how you handle it. It's not going to make any sense to them. It only makes sense to people who have had the selfishness of their heart dealt with, have studied the life of Jesus, who've seen the reality of this message and have the grace of God to apply it. That's that's the only way any of these things are going to work. So he says, be very careful when you try to handle uh, these things uh, out there. I'll give you another example. Uh, on our wedding, after we were married on Saturday, uh, we stayed in West, West Winchester, Virginia. And I said to my wife on Sunday morning, we're going to get up and go somewhere to church here in this city. So we went, uh, I guess, to the church that had the tallest steeple. Uh and I think we went at 9.30. We didn't realize most of those churches don't start till 10 o'clock. But the uh, pastor was having an early Sunday uh, Bible study with a very select group of people. And it so happened that Sunday morning, the message was they were studying the Ten Commandments. And that Sunday morning, they were studying thou shalt not kill. And so the pastor started off saying, well, now, there's the majority view on this has been that under certain circumstances, uh, Christians really can get involved in killing. And he gave the just war theory. 
He said, now there's a very small minority of people who have always believed it's wrong to kill under any circumstances. I'm sure that view is not represented here this morning. So I listened for a while till I had a chance and I said, well, I actually, I raised my hand and said, I actually represent the minority view that you're talking. Oh, they said, we want to hear that. And they got all excited. They wanted to hear about this minority view. Well, I didn't talk very long till I sensed they were all disgusted and wanted to go on with their discussion. See, I, I probably didn't handle the subject very wisely. I'm not saying I wouldn't do that again, but I'd be much more careful how I talk about it. Uh, I was way too idealistic and it made no sense to them. So that's what Jesus is saying. Be very careful when you give this message uh, to the people out there. And yet we're supposed to give the message. So how? How do we give the message to these people out there? Well, let's go back to chapter five. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. See, for we Christ, for us Christians, <clears throat> we can we can believe without seeing. And then usually we see after we have obeyed. We at least we see some of the wisdom that bunch out there. They have to see it first. And uh <clears throat> So that's why I think it's so important for us to form these kingdom communities and show the world how you resolve these difficulties. In fact, did you ever notice in James chapter four, where he talks about fighting among brethren, right in the middle of that discussion, he says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Did you ever hear a sermon on nonconformity that said that fighting is worldly? It is. That's how the world solves its problems. And the world should be able to look at our communities and see something altogether different, that we do not resolve our problems with fighting. That just does not happen in the Christian community. So uh, we need to be very careful how we give this message. Basically, the ideal way to give it is to wait until there's a, a, a phenomenon that the world does not understand, a death in the family, uh, some tragedy that occurs, the nickel mine shooting is a good example. I had a friend who was in London during that time, and he said that that was front page news in the London newspaper. People in England could not understand why these people chose just to forgive and let it go and, and actually bless the uh, family uh, of the perpetrator. So, <clears throat> in fact, at Pentecost, you see the same thing. You have these people hearing in their own language, and then they say to Peter, what is this? And then Peter preaches the sermon. <laughs> so that's the that's the ideal way to get the, the message out. Now, on the billboard of, uh, calls, of course, they, they don't know me. They don't see me. They, they're not around to see how I live. But so there's only one thing I can do to pique their interest. And that is the way I handle the disagreements. If somebody comes on and they're just, you know, antagonistic and ugly and mean with their comments and I'm gentle and kind to them and let them speak and I'm reasonable. They often at the end of the conversation will say something like this. When I picked up the phone, I was expecting to talk to an angry fundamentalist and this has been altogether different from what I expected. I disagree with you, but this was a good conversation. I really enjoyed it. Now you can be sure okay. that they're going to think about that message more than if I had taken a different approach. So it's it's something we have to live in a way that people see something and then they want to hear the message. And uh, that's what Jesus said. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father. And of course, then ask the questions. Well, the next. So we have correct with caution. Witness with wisdom. And how are we going to have all this wisdom to do all of this? (laughs) Well, the next part is proceed with prayer. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened unto him. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? It took me a long time to realize that there are tremendous promises here. It says, everyone that asketh, receive it. Everyone that knocks, finds. And to everyone, I'm sorry, everyone that seeks, finds. And to everyone that knocks, it shall be opened. And so Jesus called us to live in constant prayer. I mean, before I talk to almost all the billboard callers, when they call, I breathe a silent prayer before I say anything. Uh, because that's the way we're going to, 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 to have the answers. Now, the words here have an ETH to them. And there's an interesting thing about the King James Version that I appreciate. And that is not always, but many times when you have an ETH on a verb, it has, is that special Greek verb that means continuous action. So we're talking about continual prayer here. We're not talking about just one little prayer. We're talking about the person that has persisted in prayer. And Jesus, of course, told us that we are to persist in prayer. And he gives examples of the widow and the unjust judge. He gives the example of the friend who comes knocking at night and just persists until you get out of your bed and go uh, meet his need. And so I think uh, if we can learn anything here, it's that, Jesus, that God answers the prayers that we continually ask. Uh, George Mueller, I think I've given this on, here on uh, one of my talks before. George Mueller in his diary talks about five men that he prayed for for 50 years. In his diary, he records that I think two or three of them were converted shortly before he died. And someone observed that shortly after he died, the other, the rest of them were converted. All five of them were finally converted. But George Mueller prayed for them for 50 years. And so we need to be in constant, persistent prayer if we want wisdom. The story is told of a young man who went to a philosopher, a Greek philosopher, and said, I'd like to be wise. Would you tell me how to be wise? Yeah, I said, I can do that. And they were standing on the seashore. So he said, come with me. So they started to wade out into the water till it got deeper and deeper and finally was up to here. And then he took the young fellow's head and pushed it under the water and held it there. And the guy struggled and struggled. And he held it there for quite a while to the man. The fellow was in pretty bad shape. And then he let him up. And then the young fellow was really angry. He said, why did you do that to me? Well, he said, when you were under the water, what did you think about? Did you think about how much money you had? Did you think about your vacation? Did you think about your hobbies? No. What did you think about? Air. Well, he said, when you want wisdom as badly as you wanted air, you will become wise. So Jesus is saying here that we need to be desperately seeking 
we, we need to see wisdom as the most precious thing and be in constant search. Ask means we have a sense of need. Seek means we become active. We talk to people, we read the Bible, we pray, we, 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 we put some action behind our desire. And knocking has the idea, according to one of Jesus' parables, of persistence. And, uh, if, if we, if we have that sense of need and we're constantly asking God, we will have the wisdom to know how to relate to our brother and how to relate to those outside. You know, we used to wonder if it was possible to pray without ceasing. I have observed now it's possible to text without ceasing. So I suppose we could pray without ceasing if people can text without ceasing. So anyway, so proceed with prayer. So now we have correct with, correct with compassion, witness with wisdom, and proceed with prayer. Uh, and the Bible assures us that God always gives us the best gifts, especially, in fact, in, in Luke chapter 11, when it talks about persistence, it says he always gives the Holy Spirit to them that ask. So I kind of think that all of our requests are given, are, are answered by the Holy Spirit. And God always gives us that in our request. He ministers to us through the Holy Spirit. So, <clears throat> so proceed with prayer. And when it says it'll be opened unto you, what will be opened? Well, I think it will be, <laughs> and all of you know my famous diagram, all the resources of heaven made available to us through Christ. Uh, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency and all things may abound into every good work. Or Ephesians chapter one, verse three, which says he's made available to us everything in the heavenly places. And so that, that happens through the people who want that and persist in prayer to receive those graces. Now, the last question. So, what do I do in situations that are not covered by the Sermon on the Mount? And there are many of them. Uh, we get into many situations that are not, there's nothing specific in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is very interesting because it's half the length of the Constitution of the United States. And here we have a, a Sermon on the Mount that's much smaller than the Constitution of the United States for a much larger kingdom. <laughs> But we can learn something from the, the Constitution of the United States. It has a clause in there called the Com- Commerce Clause, which is often called the Expansion Clause. And it says something like this. If there's something that is needed in interstate relationships that are not specified, in, that is not specified in the Constitution, the, the federal government has the authority to do that. And we call it the Expansion Clause. Well, the Sermon on the Mount has an Expansion Clause, and I would like to read it. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. <laughs> so Jesus is saying, if you run into a situation where you don't know what to do, and I haven't told you what to do, I, here, here's how you decide. And, and I, I always smile when I read this, because if I had been choosing something to which people can appeal if they need to uh, answer a situation like that, I would have thought of something in my nature that is good. But Jesus chose the worst. Selfishness. He's appealing. He says, now here's a chance for you to use your selfishness. Indulge it to the max and then go do it to, to the brother. Whatever you would want people to do to you, think the most selfish thoughts you want to think and go do that to your brother and you will always be right. You know who the best example in the scriptures is? Haman. 
Haman was probably the most intensely selfish person we read about in the scriptures. And so the king came to him. You know the story. What shall I do to the man who the king delights to honor? And so Haman just unloaded all the selfish thoughts he had. Get the best robe, get the king's robe, put his crown on his head, put him on a horse, have somebody lead him through the city and say, this is the man who the king delights to honor. And the king said, Haman, that's a great idea. Go do that to Mordecai. (laughs) That's what Jesus says we're supposed to do. That if you don't know what to do in any situation in relationships to your brother, relationships to somebody outside the brotherhood, do that. Indulge your selfishness and then go do that to him. And uh, like I said, I always smile when I read this because it is so ironic. But it was also very wise because everybody has a, a point of reference that everybody has this quality. It's not that Jesus is saying we're to appeal to something that some people don't have. Everybody is selfish and everybody can indulge their selfishness and everybody can know what is the right thing to do in a situation. So these are the four things. Correct with caution, your brother. Witness with wisdom to the people who are outside. Proceed with prayer. And if you don't know what to do, indulge your selfishness and do it to the person that uh, you're relating to. Let's not defeat our kingdom ideals by behaviors that defeat our message. I conclude with a story. There was a man, a German artist, his name was Hokemer. And he was a such a uh, uh, he was a German uh, artist and he became so uh, well known that he finally moved to England. He moved to London, set up his office and was an artist there, his studio. And then his father, who was a, a widower, he invited him to come live with him. So his father came and uh, discovered that he had some real skill making pottery. So he started to make pottery. So there was the son and the father in business together in London. But as the man got older, Herkimer noticed that at the end of the day, he would look at his pieces of pottery and he'd say, my hands aren't as steady as they used to be. My pottery is not the quality it used to be. And he would leave the studio very, very discouraged. So Herkimer would wait until he was upstairs in bed, sound asleep. And then he would take all his pieces of pottery that were still green And he would put them on the wheel and he would perfect them and set them aside. And his father would come down in the morning and he would look at them and he would say, well, you know what? I think I still can do as well as I always did before. So that's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to have that attitude toward people. Do we have the kindness and the compassion to go to them, to correct the fault? and make it a beautiful uh, example of what God can do in the lives of people. Whether it's our brother, whether it's someone outside the brotherhood, that should be our purpose. And we need to scrub our hearts good and clean and pray with, with persistence so that we have the wisdom and the repentance of self-righteousness to relate to people in that way. If you have any questions... Oh, now's the time to ask them. Thank you, Brother John. What a what a challenging, um, touching, <coughs> excuse me, message that you just gave to us here this morning. Um, it definitely was speaking into my experience in 
in many, many ways and even current uh, situations and challenges in my life. Um, so you, you had a, right before your story here, Brother John, you, you had a quote <clears throat> or a challenge or a statement and it went something like this. Let's not kill our kingdom ideals with behaviors that are of this world or how, how did you say that? Well, I said it right at the end. Let's not defeat our kingdom ideals by behaviors that defeat our message. Okay. Thank you. I just want to get that. Um, thank you. Um, so yeah, so yeah, every, um, just there's so many things here in this, in this message, um, so many aspects with different ways that we could go. I will open up for questions here right shortly. So brothers be, be ready to jump right in, um, with, with those thoughts, questions, um, that we might have. Um, so what up, John? Um, so you, I've heard you talk, talk about this expansion, um, um, idea, uh, that Jesus puts here in the sermon, uh, right here at, at the end. Um, whatever you want people to do to you, do to them. And, um, what, would, would you have any stories, uh, in your own life where you've had to think through a situation and you did that to the other person? Um, you, uh, I'm, I'm sure there is. And I don't know if you would mind sharing a story about how that worked a, out in a your specific, life. A specific one does not come to mind. I have to sadly say I have not practiced this as well as I should. It's only in recent years that I really have concentrated on this. Uh, I mentioned my church. There would have been a time in the past where I would have caused real problems in the church with, with some things that I disagree with. And I have decided not to do that. I've decided to to do exactly what Jesus said. Uh, and you you have to ask my brother what what they're observing. Uh, but I've decided. Uh, I mean, everybody knows what I believe. I have things to say, but I try to say them in a way that doesn't put anybody down, uh, and that uh, I try to compliment people. Uh, yes, and and I especially I gave the example of the billboard calls. For instance, if somebody calls and says I'm gay. Now you can immediately start to condemn. You can immediately say, well, if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. You can start to threaten. You can make all kinds of negative comments. Usually the way I handle that is I say, well, you have to understand what Jesus came to do. He wasn't focused primarily on getting people to heaven. He was focused primarily on getting heaven to earth. And then I describe what that is. It's the ideal Amen. society. Mm. And God Amen. said he wanted male and female to be one flesh. That's what he created. That was the society he wanted. And then I sometimes say to them, now, what you just described to me, does that fit this ideal? And they often say no. And I very, very seldom anymore do they react to my answer to their question. They usually say, I'm gay. Well, I go to hell. And I don't address that directly. I, mm-hmm. I point them to the kingdom of God and the ideal. Uh, mm-hmm. So and that's an example of, of how I try to apply this. Mm-hmm. Isn't it so native? For us to curse the darkness, it, yes. it's just it takes and it takes no creativity. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and there's so many people around us, unfortunately, myself. So quickly navigate there, um, and in the Christian world, so quickly, and that and that's what really stood out to me too on here with witness with wisdom, and and, and I thought about um, 
the quote, you know, preach the gospel at all times and sometimes use words. Mm-hmm. But this this idea of, of 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 you have to kind of live that gospel out to be able to actually see like this kind of daily proclamation of it before they'll actually want to listen. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's it's, it's, it's a something that I think I would love to hear discussed more and talk about more. But uh, that, that, that part really stood out to me. We just had a question come in um, on uh, through the strength, strength website where a person was saying that, um, asking that we would have a topic on um, how to re- relate to those around us who are unsaved, especially when it, when it comes to maybe closer relationships so that, they're, you know, we're not like being preachy or uh, better than now. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a subject that is, that's so delicate. Um, and, and, but you talked about though, back up here and relating to our brother, that may it not be the way we say it that hurts, but, but the truth and that grace and truth, I think, um, is, uh, yeah, is, is, is a, a, a very, again, a delicate subject know how to handle this thing so yeah so thank you so much for sharing here brother john um is there something that you were going to say i was going to say that jesus said that he never will condemn anybody now we think of jesus being the judge in the last day i'm Mm going to read what he said if any man hear my words and believe not i judge him not for i came not to judge the world but to save the world he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him, the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him in the last day. So Jesus will never judge us personally. It will be his word. Uh, that is just a real challenge because this gets into our attitude. Instead of our word judging, we, we judge with our attitude and our uh, personally. And this this is something that is not easy for me. And I don't think it's easy for any of us. And and we just need to be aware of that and make sure we've scrubbed all of that from our soul before we go to talk to somebody. Hmm. What was your reference on that there, John? That last quote you had. That reference was, uh, uh, oh, my dear. Yes, John 12, 47 and 48. So Jesus will never condemn anybody. It'll be his words that do it. Some profound, profound thoughts. Okay. Is, is there any other thoughts, questions, musings here from any of you? Oh, Mitch. Uh, Brother John, this has been a splendid presentation. It's been inspiring, encouraging, and conciliatory, and I needed that. Thank you. Well, you pray for me, Brother Dan. You don't know me very well, but I'm the opposite of everything I described. Isn't that humanity? And, and that's why the, the the sermon drives us to our knees and we, we, we cry out for that power that is opposite. Uh, uh, we need to, to be uh, opposite of who we are, for sure. Amen. And it's, it's God's grace. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And certainly that applies to this subject.
The thing that people will see that calls them up short, if I want to just identify what it is, it's when we return good for evil. That's a shocking response. People are not used to that. And then they are ready to hear what you have to say, perhaps, when you've done that. And, and you know, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. One of the ways that we can do that in our culture is this is just by not getting involved in in the political fighting that happens by just totally eschewing it. The arguments in the left and the arguments in the right, just not going there. And part of that is by telling people that we don't vote. I think it's the most powerful thing. It's shoe leather Christianity that says, I'm not going to fight you at the ballot station. There's another way that heaven comes to earth. And I just I've become so passionate about that. I've seen people who looked at me as an enemy all of a sudden realize that this person isn't going to fight me at the ballot box. What kind of threat is he? You know, and I just think it's one of the most a shoe leather way for us here in the West to turn the other cheek to people who have totally different narratives than us. A motto that I have pursued in recent years has been it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. When I started out talking about economics from Matthew chapter six, if you would have listened to my early messages, they were pretty condemning. They really were. If you listen to that message now, I try to inspire people with an ideal. Uh, in fact, my wife is a tremendous help to me in this. When I preach, if, if there's any condemning attitude in anything I say, I'm going to hear it on the way home. Uh, she, she just calls me every time on it. So we need to get that completely out of our way of relating to people, the condemning attitude and, and start mm-hmm. to light a candle rather than curse the darkness. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, I was just going to say uh, thank you, Brother John, for sharing this morning. I I appreciated that. And I had to think about um, churches and relating to each other. And it seems like sooner or later, well, we know that we have an enemy and Satan hates a good, loving brotherhood. And, and he loves to bring things in to um, make us turn on each other and attack each other. That's the most effective way of warfare to even uh, do that in the secular world. But um, if we would truly follow this advice that Christ gave here, it would save a lot of our churches from destroying ourselves. When you're, when you're reading the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> when you're reading those first two chapters, don't close your Bible till you've gone to chapter seven. <laughs> There's where the realism is. Uh, and I just really have learned to appreciate the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus did not close his idealistic message without the realism. And that's what that whole seventh chapter is about. It's how to relate all of this in a realistic way. Thank you, brothers. Um, any any more questions, thoughts, Brother John? Here, here's your chance. John and then Bryant as well, you said you think part of the shoe leather of this 
is our refusal to get involved in politics. Do you think we're on the in danger of losing that, seeing the last, say, six years um, and our seeming cozying up to politic, political um, ideals and candidates and what, any any thoughts on that, how we can make sure we are not closet Republicans? I'll let you go first, John. <laughs> well, I think we can uh, we can complement the good that people do, uh, recognizing that that politics is a dirty business. It just is. In fact, Winston Churchill, who we would say, well, now there's a person you could have supported, but he was a good man. He always did good things. Well, uh, the realism with Churchill, and he did. And, and we can all talk about those and we can even uh, project those, uh, that, that he had some really good qualities and, and did some good things. But he also was opposed to India, the independence of India. He was, he was in politics during that time. He hated Gandhi, for instance, and actually helped enact some policies that led to the starvation of millions of people in southern India who were, uh, that he opposed. That's Winston Churchill. And so I think we need to always keep in mind that none of these people are Christian, or at least they're not going to function by Christian principles. There's just no way. Um, Jimmy Carter tried it, and it, 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 that's just not the way the world works. The world was God set the kingdoms of this world in place to keep order with force. And that's what I tell people. That's why I cannot get involved, because in the kingdom of God, kingdom Christians do not use coercion. They, they just That's just not their method. And if I get involved in politics, that's that's what that's all about. It's the sword. It's the ultimate sanction to keep order. And so we have to remember that that's what that is. And these people will do things that are just totally devastatingly unchristian uh, to get their ends accomplished and to keep order and 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 to keep uh, world leaders in their place. I mean, they'll go to war. And uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, the man that. Uh, people admire is not is not a christian and uh he has a very thin skin if, if you say something negative about him you'll take your name off birthday off the calendar i mean that's just <laughs> uh for christians to to give uh support wholeheartedly to that is just simply wrong because you're not you're not admiring somebody who is has the qualities we talked about this morning i think we can talk about the good that gets done but I think we need to stop honoring the person as a person. Yeah. Amen. Um, so yeah, looking at, looking at the nations of this world as a preserving grace. And I like calling it a grace because we do need to honor them and, and respect them. Um, and I just was, yeah, uh, my mind's going a number of different directions here, but yeah, preserving. <clears throat> and I like to tell people though, um, as we're talking about this whole political scene and, and, and the idea of, of nations being preserving, uh, what, why did the, the servant with the one talent, talent get, get condemned? <laughs> because he was preserving. He buried the talent. He was the whole digger. And at the end of the day, that's what nations are doing. I mean, there's, there's nothing salvific there. It is just, it is just absolutely just preservation of humanity. Some nations do it better, some do it worse. But 
we're involved in the redeeming grace. And there's not enough people on our side. Like we need every person committed wholly to this redeeming grace side because that's that's how the world is going to get changed. But it's so easy to get pulled into the preserving grace side because it's defensive and, and it appeals to our flesh, just like so many of the things we talked about here this morning. And I think as as kingdom Christians, we we just we need to just in every conversation, whether it's with the with the person who's on the left or who's on the right, is help people to see that those are just distractions for us as Christians to get people back back to putting their all into what the ways of changing the world. And it is, you know, we have so much um, as as you're pointing out there, Brother Ryan, uh, we have so many things that appeal to our flesh. Um, so many narratives, so many things that are just right, you know, with phone and technology and, and, um, of course, you know, every, every politician, every news site is trying to get your attention and, and, and anger and ritual and all these things appeal to us and it pulls us in. Um, but yeah, it takes much wisdom. Um, and of course we all know the dichotomy or the, 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 the um, at growing up, many of us uh, have have experienced situations where we hear those who we look up to, you know, getting all wound up about, you know, the right wing agenda or whatever this closet Republican idea, and I, I can never understand that growing up. It was confusing to me. So we don't vote. But we, we we try to ignore those things or we don't do those things, but yet we do. And uh, I think it's important for us as as, as leaders and men. Um, to really help people around us, which our families or our children, to know how to sort through these things and to do it in a way that's consistent with the gospel. Um, but it's yeah, I don't. I have a lot of questions and not many answers here. But uh, but thank you for pointing, uh, asking that question, Ryan, and for your thoughts, Brother John. Um, any any other questions here for Brother John? Well, Brother Ryan, do you have a comment to make? The the um. It was an instructor at Maranatha Bible School 20 years ago, who later became my father-in-law, interestingly enough, who pointed out um, W. Bush was in office at that point. And he, he pointed out, and he said, I'm not saying he's not a Christian. I'm not commenting on his eternal destiny. But I am saying that he cannot govern according to the principles of the New Testament. And Pete said... He said the church is incapable of operating according to the laws of the state. And the state is incapable of operating according to the laws of the church. The two are incompatible. And if either try, they will fail. It has failed. It will always fail. And we have to, we have to remember that in the 16 election, I, I made a comment to a friend of mine one time that I thought that, um, well, the neurosurgeon, now I can't say his name. Ben Carson. Ben Carson. I said, he's a gentleman. I, I, I'd like to see this. And he said he's incapable. He's too nice of a guy. He's too much of a gentleman. He's incapable of winning. And furthermore, if he did win the presidency, he's a Seventh-day Adventist and opposed to war. How could he possibly be the commander-in-chief of a military? Again, the church cannot operate according to the laws of the state. And the state cannot operate according to the laws of the church. And that, that one simple premise um, that Pete said in a class at Maranatha 20 years ago has stuck with me. And I, I, I need to come back to that more often. We're in two different kingdoms and it's physically impossible to operate according to the laws of the other kingdom. Amen. 
Thank you, Ryan. Um, that message needs to be, needs to be um, heard maybe daily uh, in our lives. So, thank you. And whether it's within the church or outside the church. I don't know what you do with this, but even if the state does do something that Jesus taught, it, 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 it's interesting what happens. At the end of World War I, we punished our enemy, punished him so unmercifully that we created World War II. And after World War II, we decided to take a different approach. We went to Japan, for instance, and helped them rebuild. And uh, they have been our friends ever since. And I think that's very interesting that even in the kingdoms of this world, uh, if, if they do tr- apply something Jesus taught, it is realism. It, it, it works even on an international level. Yeah. Uh, and yet that's not that's not the way they usually do things. Uh, they usually do it with the sword and, and, and God gave them the sword. I mean, it's they're supposed to by force keep order. And that's that's why I cannot be involved, because it compromises my witness. It does the exact opposite of what I taught this morning. <clears throat> there are a couple of interesting uh, aphorisms that are applicable that may be, if nothing more, amusing. Uh, number one is somebody said <clears throat> there are two things you would be better off to not watch being made. Sausage and politics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. That's, that's really good. The other one is, uh, what do you get when you mix politics with religion? Politics. Mm-hmm. Man, <clears throat> thank you, Brother Dan. Okay, well, we're uh, 10 minutes after 7 here, so we probably should uh, end the call here. Um, so if no one uh, interjects a question here quickly, uh, we'll... Go ahead and uh, close close this time. All right. Um, so <clears throat> just a couple of announcements here. Then, Brother General, we close with prayer. Um, so two weeks from now, uh, Lord willing, uh, this call will not be happening um, here. Uh, numerous of us will be at Kingdom Fellowship Weekend. Um, so this call will be silent um, that morning. Um just a note on Kingdom Fellowship Weekend. If you're not able to attend, you are able to um, listen in uh, via actually Zoom like this uh, to the main topics. And that information can be gotten over on the Kingdom Fellowship Weekend page. Um, I think, you know, if you aren't registered to come to Kingdom Fellowship and would like to, um, there is still a little bit of room there for lodging. Um, of course, anyone can attend throughout the day um, there as well. Um, so in four weeks from this morning, Lord willing, um, Brother Hector Schroyer from our congregation is going to be speaking about conflict resolution or something like that. I don't have that title in front of me. So, um, so Brother John, uh, could you close us in prayer, please? Father, we thank you this morning that you have promised all of heaven's resources to make these ideals a reality. Forgive us, Lord, for so many times taking the worldly way of fighting. And I just pray, Lord, help us to remember that without you, we can do nothing. And that self-righteousness is something we have to zealously deal with constantly or it compromises everything we're trying to accomplish. Just help us, Lord, to have that 
burned deeply into our thinking and into our uh, way of relating. Just bless all the brethren who are on the line this morning. I just pray help all of us to um, use your methods in our congregations to stop some of this ugliness that happens uh, when we do not. Just help us, Lord, to know how to build and how to light a candle without cursing the darkness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you all and have a good day. As lion sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his